At photographycourse.net, you'll be able to swap your expertise with other photographers, make light instead of wishing for it, expand your portfolio, and receive feedback from professionals, all of which will develop your artistic eye. Photographycourse.net offers an abundance of premium courses and challenges for participants at every stage of their journey, from technical settings for portrait photography, to landscape composition tricks, to how to start your own photography business, we have everything you need to start shooting confidently. You can work at a pace that suits you. Our 52-week project challenge will provide you with the educational resources, encouragement, and support that you need to take great photographs every week. You can join us at any time as our themes are evergreen. You can also start by shooting every day and learning something new with our 365 Days of Photography course. Led by an industry expert who has mentored over 10,000 students, this course will help you take your photography skills to the next level with daily, bite-sized videos. Throughout the process of learning, you'll have access to a community that will provide you with inspiration and motivation. Get encouragement from other photographers every single day. Our current limited time offer comes with a special discount code exclusive to the listeners of this podcast. Get 50% off your first year as a premium member. Claim this discount by going to photographycourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST. Come join photographycourse.net and capture more than just a moment. Hello everyone, my name is Taya and I'm the host of Great Big Photography World Podcast, where we interview notable photographers in the industry, give advice on a wide variety of topics, and provide tips for beginners and professionals alike. In this episode, I talked to Sean Bagshaw, who was an incredible landscape photographer with many gorgeous photographs in his portfolio. He and I talk about his journey, how he started out as a full-time teacher and then became a photographer, and much more. Please enjoy. Hey, Sean, welcome to the podcast. I'm thrilled to have you here. Please introduce yourself to the listeners. Hi, Taya. Um... I'm Sean Bagshaw. I'm very happy to be here. I am a landscape and nature and travel photographer from Oregon in the United States. And I uh, also do a lot of photography education, teaching workshops, leading tours, and also creating online Photoshop courses. Oh, that's really exciting. So you uh, have a lot of hats. You wear a lot of hats as a photographer. That's fascinating. That's Mm-hmm. Yes, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I just say it, it is great. There is a lot of variety. And that's one of the things I love about this work is that there's a lot of different things to do and um, never gets boring. Yeah, exactly. It's always fun because you don't just have to take photographs. You can go beyond that and teach people and learn from them at the same time and so much more. Absolutely. What camera equipment do you use? I have been uh, a Canon shooter photographer since I began pretty much. Um, actually, I, I shot film for a while in the in the 90s and I had some different film cameras. I was a horrible film photographer. Uh, but my first digital camera was, I believe, in 2000 or 2001, right at the beginning of digital cameras. And it was a Canon. I think it was a one megapixel digital camera oh. with a fixed lens and, you know, very low fidelity by today's standards, but it was, it seemed like magic at the time. And I've just stuck with Canon ever since then. I love, uh, Canon's, uh, their cameras. I love their lenses and, um, yeah. So I've just stuck with Canon and been very happy with them. One megapixel camera. I remember when I first started my camera, my smartphone camera had 
I think, a, a megapixel as well. <laughs> so it's very yeah. hard to imagine now. It, it is. It is. So the, my, the the latest camera that I'm using from Canon is the R5, and it's a 45 megapixel full frame sensor uh, in a mirrorless body. And yeah, the the change from one megapixel small sensor to this, you know, full frame sensor with 45 megapixels, plus just all the other advancements that have happened in, uh, I guess we're on 20 years since I got that first digital camera. Uh, it's an amazing evolution that's happened with the, uh, with the equipment. Absolutely. I agree with you. I mean, it's, it's absolutely mind blowing and I'm curious to know. So when you first got that digital one megapixel camera, were you into landscape photography even then, or did you have other interests? I was definitely getting into landscape photography then. My original interests in photography were mostly just personal, for fun, and mostly for documentation. I was doing a lot of outdoor adventuring, climbing, trekking, um, mountaineering, things like that. And I was using film cameras to just document those trips not good photographs in any way, just purely a record of where I was and what I was doing. And that kind of transitioned into becoming interested in photography and how can I create uh, better photos more frequently. <laughs> and so when digital came along, I quickly saw that there was a lot of potential there for the kinds of things I wanted to do with photography and so my transition from documentary photography into more kind of artistic landscape photography and the transition from film to digital, all of that was kind of happening simultaneously. Mm, that's really cool. Must have been very exciting for you to experience all of that at once. It really was. It was because I think, um, you know, the introduction of the digital camera uh, and being able to edit my own images on my computer and do a lot of techniques that weren't really possible or not easily achievable with film. And so those are a lot of the things that probably would have kept me from really getting deeper into photography with film that to me were frustrating or kind of shortcomings, I guess, that I felt there was with film photography, or at least my abilities as a film photographer. But with that first digital camera, even though it was only one megapixel and it wasn't great quality, but I could immediately see the potential for overcoming some of the problems I was having with film that was, you know, that you could do a digital. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. And since you first got your first digital camera, have you ever gone back to film photography? <laughs> I have not. <laughs> I have not. I know I have uh, friends and colleagues who have, and to varying degrees of success. And it, I guess it also depends on what your goals are. I mean, I know there are some people that just love the kind of the, uh, the film experience and the kind of analog, the tactile, you get to touch it and feel it and develop it and, you know, work with it with your hands. I know that some people just love that about it and they love that kind of analog look. And so for those people, they're doing it, you know, because that's that's their their love. I know other photographers are like, oh, you know, it'd be great to kind of get back to the roots of photography and do some film photography. And I've seen some of those people go from digital over to film and kind of dabble in it for a while. And almost always they end up coming back to digital because, yeah, if you, if you don't love that experience and love that look, 
you really miss the things that you have with digital, I think. Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, with digital, it's it's instant and very gratifying. And with film, it has its own pros, of course. But yes, it can be very frustrating. Yeah, in my experience, it's been uh, you know, a slow process. It's much more difficult to to get the results that you really visualize in your height in your head. Yeah, do you do you shoot film? From time to time, yeah, but I'm more interested in uh, instant film right now. So Instax, Polaroid, anything like that. I feel like it's, I mean, it's more just for documentary purposes. But yeah, mostly I specialize in, in digital photography. Yeah. yeah, right on. You have degrees in biology and teaching. Have these subjects affected the way you take photographs in any way? Uh, I Yes, I would say definitely, you know, my, the, the, the biology degree and just my background in science. I'm just kind of generally inquisitive about how things work and what, you know, what's the explanations behind things. And so that definitely plays into, I wouldn't say that, you know, I, I, I'm well-educated in things like, uh, you know, optic science, uh, you know, uh, science of light and that kind of stuff that's involved with photography. But I think I have enough of a science background and enough interest in how things work that I do probably dig in a little deeper than maybe most people would about what's going on behind the, the curtain in terms of, you know, how do lenses work? How does a digital sensor work? What is color theory and the theory of optics and all those kinds of things involved around um, capturing images? So, yeah, I think that having those understandings and those interests definitely helps me achieve images based off of kind of a scientific understanding that's different than just uh, maybe just kind of operating more in the dark and not understanding how things are operating. So that part's been great. The teaching part, I think, has also affected my photography, the photographs themselves and how I take them kind of indirectly. Because I've ended up teaching a lot of photography. You know, I taught middle school students and I taught science, but that's segued into teaching photography. And what I know about any subject is when I teach it, that's how I really get intimate with it or how I really get to know it well. And so teaching photography and teaching uh, Photoshop and image developing has just made me a better photographer and a better image developer. Um, than otherwise. And that's just true. I think teaching anything. Yeah, I agree with you hundred percent. I mean, when you teach, you don't know everything. Of course, there might be some things that you stumble upon that are unfamiliar to you. So you have to do research and you learn along the way, which is something that I think a lot of people don't know about teaching. It's also learning from the students and from the process itself. It really is. Yeah. Looking at something and it's one thing to have a you know, a peripheral understanding, a, a working understanding that's good enough for for you personally to kind of stumble through it. But then when you realize you have to explain it to someone else, that is the requirement that causes you to de delve in much deeper than you might otherwise. And in doing that, you realize, oh, man, all of these kind of new layers and dimensions open up as you do that research like you were you were talking about. And yeah, it's but it's oftentimes the kind of thing that unless we have to do it, unless we have to be able to explain it to someone else, we may not realize we should go that deeply into it. Exactly. Yeah, I'm working on a video course now and I've had to 
do so much research on something that I thought I knew really well, portrait photography. I just didn't know that I didn't know so much. And so <laughs> it's been a very fascinating experience for me, for sure. Yeah. That is the story of my life right there. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's cool, though, because you're basically a lifelong learner, right? You're always learning something. You're always growing as a photographer. And that's amazing. It's always exciting for you. Then I agree. And that's what keeps I think keeps photography interesting for me. And I hope for everyone else or a lot of other people as well, is that idea that this isn't something that I ever plan on feeling like I have mastered. You know, there's always something new to learn, some new way to approach things, some small thing that I can improve on or do differently. And so knowing that makes it infinitely interesting to me. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with you. There's no end point. It's just a constant process. Absolutely. I loved the interview you did with Crystal Kenny for photographycourse.net. In one of your answers, you mentioned that you took a break from teaching and decided to take photos for five years to see if it would take the place of your salary as a teacher, which I found really interesting. You achieved that in your fifth year. I imagine that it was really stressful, but thrilling to make a decision like that. What were those five years like for you? Well, it, I'm trying to think back how stressful it was. It, I mean, I guess it was moderately stressful, but honestly, uh, I went in. It was a wonderful opportunity. I had been teaching for about 10 or 12 years at that point. I, was, uh, I loved being a middle school teacher, uh, but I was a, a little burned out. I was ready for a break. My children were very young at that point, um, just babies. And so I also was motivated to kind of be a at-home dad and be able to spend some more time with them. And I had a very supportive wife and we had some savings that made it possible for me to not work for a while. And I really just viewed it as a, a wonderful opportunity in all respects and something I was very passionate about and committed to trying to see what it would be like to be a, a full-time photographer, or be in a photography business. But honestly, I think I really didn't believe that I would end up being able to sustain it as a business that would provide for my family. And so I knew I had some money and the, you know, the blessings of, of my wife to give it a try. And I thought, oh, what an opportunity. How could I say no to this? It'll let me be around for my kids. And if nothing else, I've had a wonderful experience being able to play photographer for a few years. And then I'll go back to teaching and everything will move along and life will be great. So I was actually mostly just surprised when I got to the end of my five-year grace period and actually was making back uh, the amount that I had been making as a teacher and had the option, the opportunity to to continue. It, 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 I was probably more surprised than anyone. Wow, that's that's quite a story. And it's cool that you had that opportunity. It's nice that you wanted to be with your family. And it, uh, the best news is that you ended up earning as much as you did when you were a teacher. That's It's a very unique story, in my opinion. Very cool. It was. And in terms of what those five years were like, I mean, I did work really hard at it. I figured, you know, if I have this opportunity, I should at least put everything I have into it. So when I started, <laughs> I really, I mean, I knew something about photography. I'd been photographing for many years, but looking back now at what I know now compared to what I knew then, I really didn't know much of anything, but it was a great learning experience for me because I took on any job that involved a camera. 
So mm-hmm. even though I really loved landscape and nature and travel photography, uh, I photographed portraits, weddings. Um, I did product photography, real estate, architectural photography. I would take assignments for magazines. I would do commercial stuff. I think I even photographed some people's pets. <laughs> I mean, anything that involved a camera, I would say yes to. And I learned a few things through that. Uh, one is that where my skills in photography are and what I really have a passion for, which was not a lot of those types of photography, but also that every one of those types of photography that I, that I don't do anymore professionally, I've you know phased all those out of my business at this point and just I'm able to focus on the photography that I like and I think I'm good at, but every one of those made me a better photographer doing, you know, having to learn about it, having to figure out how do I photograph people or how do I photograph a wedding or how do I photograph a piece of furniture or whatever it was that I was photographing. So it was all great experience. And if I hadn't had gone through that uh, experience, I don't think I'd be the photographer I am today. Mm, Yeah. I like to emphasize that when I talk to photographers, especially those who are just starting, because it's important in my opinion, to just try everything because, as you said, that will help you figure out what you really like the most. But it will also help you figure out how other photographers function in those genres and what it what it's like to be those photographers. And I think it's good for empathetic reasons as well, but also just for you personally as an artist. I have so much respect for all the photographers who do the photography that that's not in my wheelhouse. <laughs> so especially people... Uh, photographers who are, are portrait and wedding and, you know, photographers that interact with people and can just create really good, powerful imagery of, of people. To me, that's, I mean, I get lucky every now and again with, with people photography, but to me, that is just this whole other level of photography that I just know that I don't have the skill set. And what I learned through that is that I'm I'm very much a monotasker sort of person. I can focus on one thing really well at a time, but I can't focus on multiple things at a time. And and that's what I noticed with people photography is if I was operating the camera and really involved in taking the photos, then I wasn't interacting with whoever I was photographing and they were you know, completely not sure what they should be doing. <laughs> and as soon as I started interacting with them and then they would become more comfortable and, you know, maybe I would even, you know, whatever was going on, I could interact with them. And then I realized all these great things had happened through the course of those interactions. And I hadn't photographed any of it because I could only do one thing at a time. <laughs> and yeah. And so when I see, you know, people I know, and you probably have this ability uh, but people I know who are great portrait photographers is they're interacting with their subjects and taking photos. And you almost don't know that they're taking the photos. And that's part of what makes it so great. Uh, the, the photos that they're able to get. Yeah, that's fun. But I, as a portrait photographer, I can't imagine what it's like taking landscape photos and making them tell a story. And it's just to me, it's a different world completely. <laughs> It's it's definitely different. Yeah, that's one of the other great things about photography. There's so many different ways to be a photographer. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I love this podcast, because it gives different photographers an opportunity to talk and learn from each other and see what it's like being their unique selves. I love that. Very good. 
many photographers don't originally aim to become photographers like you you were originally a biology teacher so i know that a lot of those people struggle with getting into photography and turning it into a full-time job do you have any tips for people like that well, I'm probably the worst person to give any sort of business advice to, <laughs> but maybe not. I don't know. I just know what worked for me. And the reality is, is I doubt that I would be able to reproduce or recreate my path into my profession as a photographer if I were to try to do it again. So I don't know that, um, you know, my experience is a good template for anyone else to use. But my thing was it kind of dovetails in with what I said about going in with no expectations or low expectations, but also at the same time being very passionate. So I just wanted to be a photographer and just, you know, immerse myself in being a photographer and doing photography and interacting with other photographers and being part of the photography community. That's what I wanted to do. And doing that for several, you know, actually I'm still doing it because uh, I do love it. But that led to my opportunities to make a living in photography versus the other way around. I didn't, I don't think as much come up with a business plan and a plan for how I was going to make money as a photographer without having that passion and interest and being willing to just dive in ahead of time. Um, so I guess maybe that would be my, my, my first piece of advice is I think to make money, at least as a landscape photographer, you have to know that you are so passionate and interested in it that you're going to do it anyway, and you're going to immerse yourself in it a hundred percent anyway. And it's really about the act of doing the photography and creating the images. And then if some sort of career opportunity comes out of that passion, then that's like a bonus, but that's not the, you know, the main focus. And that, like I said, that's probably bad business advice because I think most businesses don't operate that way. They operate on, I want to make a business. What's my plan? And then we'll, we'll execute that plan. And as long as we execute the plan, well, uh, you know, it should be a successful business. And I just not sure that landscape photography really works that way, at least not in my experience. Um, the other things I would say, I guess, is working towards becoming a full-time photographer would just be make sure that that's really what you want to do, I guess, is the other thing. I think for a lot of people, it sounds wonderful to say that I'm a full-time photographer, but if you do love photography, becoming a full-time photographer that your income is dependent on your photography could ruin photography for you. <laughs> so I think for me and other people who are, you know, making it work in this business is we love both sides of that. We love being in the business of photography and we love the photography. And I think you have to have both of those. I've seen plenty of photographers who love photography and know that trying to do a business around it would ruin their, their passion and their hobby and their pastime. And I also see plenty of people who love business and love to start businesses and make companies and, you know, be entrepreneurial, but they just don't have the passion around the photography part. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a very logical point of view. I've never thought of it that way. You have to like both sides and be passionate about both sides as well. It's really cool. I'm curious to know, when it comes to the business side of things, 
how does that work in landscape photography? So do you sell your photos as prints? Do you do you commission work or how does it work? All of the above. <laughs> One of the things I think, uh, especially in landscape photography these days, is looking at what are the available ways to create income. And it's probably going to be a lot of small ones instead of any one large source. I think there was a time when there were fewer landscape photographers, fewer good ones. And, you know, this was back in the film days and there was a much, uh, you know, there was a low supply and a high demand for good outdoor imagery. And so if you could, if you were one of the few landscape photographers who had a big portfolio of really high quality landscape photographs, you could make all of your income from, you know, selling prints of your photos or licensing your images for books and magazines and publishing and that sort of thing. And nowadays, a lot of those sources of income, I think, have, you know, the opportunities aren't quite the same as they were at one time. Uh, but there's lots of other opportunities that didn't used to exist. And for me, that's so I do sell prints. I do license my images as stock images. Um, I used to do assignment work where I would get hired to create photos for a company or a person who needed certain images. So that's another way to do it. I don't do assignment work anymore, but that is another way. And then for me, the being a guide, leading tours, teaching workshops, and the whole online education element is my experience as a teacher has kind of, that's been a good fit for me to be into photography education. And right at the time, I think when the demand for landscape photographs was going down, the interest in landscape photography was going up. And that's kind of, the, you know, the, those are two different sides of the same coin. It's the reason the demand for landscape photographs went down is because so many more people started taking landscape photography and producing good landscape photography, which increased the supply. But it also meant that a lot of people were interested all of a sudden in learning how to be better photographers. So I was able to kind of segue into that with my teaching background and teach people how to take good photographs. Yeah, that's great that you have a background in teaching because then you can just make the most of any situation and, and turn whatever situation that's given to you into an opportunity to earn some money and help people. So yeah, that's interesting. Photographycourse.net is a place where you can find an abundance of photography inspiration in different forms like premium courses, articles, video tutorials, editing resources, and much more. We have a thriving community where you can meet new people, receive constructive criticism, and discover new ideas every single day. Here is a message from one of our top community members, Robert Morton. Hi, my name is Rob. I specialize in wildlife photography and landscape photography. I'm a member of photographycourse.net online community. I like the community because you get some fantastic ideas and some great feedback. So take your photography to the next level by clicking the link in the description. That's what I did, and I haven't looked back. If you want to join our online community, go to photographycourse.net and enter the coupon code PODCAST to get 50% of your first year as a premium member. In the interview with Crystal, you also mentioned the importance of being able to tell a story in a landscape photo. 
Everyone sees things differently, but photographers who can tell a meaningful story can create an emotion in any kind of image. What kind of stories do you like to tell through your work? The stories in my photographs are mostly about my experiences in the landscape, in the wilderness. And they're not very literal stories, I would say. I mean, I, I definitely know some, some great photographers who are very conceptual and who have a real idea about a literal storyline that their, their photograph or their bodies of work of photography are telling. Some of this is documentary or journalistic photography. Sometimes it's uh, just kind of conceptual imagery of, you know, about very clear what the image is about. For me, the only the, the main reason I take photographs is I'm out having experiences, adventures, explorations in the landscape. And those are more distinct for me when I'm photographing. So I just notice that when I'm out in the land, and I'm out in the landscape no matter what, sometimes I have my camera, sometimes I don't. But I do notice that when I am photographing, I move, I, I'm, I'm slower, I notice more, I pay attention more. Um, I have a stronger experience of what's going on in the landscape. And so then the photograph is kind of my way to really connect with the landscape. And then if I happen to get a good photograph, it's, it's a way to communicate that experience with other people, hopefully. And so really what I'm trying to do in my photographs, I guess, is take what the camera was able to capture and then add other elements into it. And I don't want to say add, enhance the elements that are part of my memory of that experience so that hopefully that comes through to other people. Because, you know, our experiences are more than just what we see. I mean, our eyes see things, but anytime we're having an experience, wherever we are, not, we're not only seeing, we're hearing, we're smelling, we're experiencing thoughts and emotions, we're interacting maybe with other people, maybe we're cold or we're hungry or we're tired or we're uh, exuberant or, you know, all of these things go together. And then over time, we also... Uh, interject our imagination and our kind of internal artistic vision into that whole mix. And all of those things together, for me, create what I want the image to look like, not just what I saw, and certainly not just what the camera saw, because even what a camera sees and records is different than what our eyes see and record. But then the experience is so much deeper than that. So I guess the real challenge for me is to try to tell the story of what's inside my mind about that experience through a photograph, which is just one moment of time, two-dimensional. And that's a real challenge. And it, I, I fail at that a lot. I think it is, you know, truly getting a photograph to represent to someone else kind of my experience. But every once in a while, I think I get a little closer or someone does connect with one of my photographs in a way that they, you know, even though they weren't there, they kind of get a sense of that. And that sense of being able to tell that story is really interesting to me and something I'm always trying to get better at. That's a beautiful answer. And when you say you want to enhance the pictures once you've taken them, do you mean edit them? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So for me, the camera is just a tool for recording, for collecting the raw materials. 
the camera is not the artist. The camera doesn't have any intention about creating a piece of artwork. The camera is just a tool to record the light. That's it. So I'm taking those raw materials and then working with those to bring out the things that were there. And a lot of what was there is based on how I experienced the scene. Someone else who was there could have a completely different interpretation of what that experience was like. And they, their photo may end up looking completely different. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So enhancing, you know, I'm working almost always, I'm working with what was there, what the camera recorded, but then how I work with edit, develop those raw materials uh, is, is the personal part, I guess, comes from the inside. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I noticed when I looked through your pictures that they look both edited and unedited at the same time. And I mean that as a compliment. It just, you can feel the story in the pictures, but you can also appreciate that they look pretty authentic in terms of color correction. So how much work goes into the whole editing process? How long does it take you to edit a picture, for example? It varies image to image, but. Um... You know, some images, it's it's interesting. Sometimes the experience we have and the way we see a scene is very closely matched by how the camera records it. So what comes out of the camera sometimes is almost already what my vision for the image was. And so in those cases, very little, you know, just a little bit of, uh, you know, exposure and contrast and you know, a little bit of cleanup or whatever, a few minutes maybe. Other times, uh, you know, the raw materials that were collected are going to require a lot of work to get them to match what the picture is in my mind. And so for some of those more complicated situations, it can take hours or sometimes days or months or years. I mean, there's plenty of images that I know I still go back to and I took them 10 years ago. And I'll go back to them and realize, oh, yeah, boy, you know, at that time, I didn't see this possibility or I didn't have the skill or I didn't have the the tools to accomplish a particular thing. And so I'll keep evolving and working on some of my images years later. Oh, well, that's really cool. And how many do you use several editing programs or do you just stick to one? So my main piece well two pieces so uh i i mostly stick within the adobe ecosystem so i use lightroom to do my raw image developing on the raw files and just all my cataloging and that kind of stuff and that kind of sets up the foundation of my images then i take them over to photoshop and photoshop for me just has uh many more tools and a lot more control and uh fine tunability and um, precision uh, available for editing. So a lot of the things I'm going to do, I do in Photoshop, not because I couldn't do them in Lightroom. I just feel like I have more, uh, more options in Photoshop. And then there are things that you can only do in Photoshop that you can't do in Lightroom. So anything that involves, um, blending of, of different frames or different exposures together and a lot of kinds of, um, transformations and kind of working with perspective in images and things like that. And then the, Within Photoshop, I use uh, the TK panel, which is a panel for uh, generating pixel-based masks, which would be like luminosity mask, color-based mask, saturation mask. And these are very refined, detailed masks that enable me to make really nuanced, subtle adjustments 
um, with a lot of control. So those are my three main, but then there's some other uh, applications that are really useful depending on what you need them for. Um, you know, some, some are for enlarging images for making big prints. There's great noise removal software out there. If you end up with images that have noise in them, there's great applications for stitching images together for panoramas. So as I need those other applications, I use them, but I would say the bulk of what I do is in Lightroom and Photoshop and then using the TK panel. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. I also start with, with Lightroom. I like to color correct my photos in Lightroom first, and then I go on to retouch in Photoshop, which is different to what you do, but it's interesting that our editing styles are similar still. It, it is. And, and I think, I mean, when I started, Photoshop was really the only application for editing digital images. I mean, there were some other ones, but if anyone who was serious about photography, Photoshop was it. And then Lightroom came along and then lots of other applications as well, you know, that aren't even part of the Adobe suite of, of applications. And so the options that photographers have available to work with these days is great. So I think everyone can find a piece of software that meets their expectations or how they like to work or what kinds of imagery they want to create. But even after all this time and being around so long, um, Lightroom and Photoshop, I think a lot of people are still using those. They they continue to kind of set the standard, I think, for a lot of photographers. Yeah, they're always updating their uh, features. I think Lightroom has a new feature now with, uh, it's just much more immersive and there are more tools to choose from for all kinds of photographers. So yeah, they're definitely very impressive uh, as a company as a whole. It's uh, Yeah, I, I love them both. I love Photoshop and Lightroom, especially Lightroom. It's just I don't know. It's the number one, I think, program for many photographers. It is. It's it's very useful. They really, they really did look at okay, what what do most photographers need to do, and how can we make a piece of software that really addresses photographers? And that's what Lightroom really is. You know, Photoshop can do all kinds of wonderful, amazing things, but a lot of those things are for graphic artists or mm -hmm. um, you know people that do three D imaging or that do just completely digital artwork. You know, there's no photography involved. They're just creating uh, an artwork completely from digital materials. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that makes Photoshop more of a kind of a, you know, it's not specific to just photography, even though it does have a lot of power to it. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's amazing. It's just I'm so impressed by both of those programs because Lightroom, you'd think that it would be specific to or useful for only a specific kind of photographer, but it's it's good for landscape photographers like you, for portrait photographers, for all kinds of photographers. And then Photoshop is a whole different ballgame with its own features for all kinds of photographers and all kinds of artists in general, as I just said. So, yeah, yep. it's truly impressive. I feel like uh, Adobe should sponsor this podcast. <laughs> yes. Free free advertisement for Adobe. D just to be clear, I'm not affiliated with Adobe in any way whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they'll reach out to you and ask you to to be your sponsors as well. Just sponsor us both, huh? Come on, Adobe. Ah, actually, I kind of like being unaffiliated. That way, I can also talk bad about the things I don't like. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, That's uh, wise. Very wise. <laughs> so you're very involved in the photography community. You collaborate with other artists, educate photographers, and much more. 
how different would your work be if you didn't put yourself out there as much? I'm sure it would be different. How it would be different, I, I wonder. On the one hand, kind of like we were talking about before, the opportunity to teach photography has, I think, absolutely made me a better photographer. So in some ways, if I wasn't involved in all those other things, I might not be as good of a photographer. On the other hand, uh, I might be better because if I really was putting all of my focus 100% into my imagery, into taking and creating the images and not a lot of the other things that I do as part of my photography business, um, yeah, I'd spend a lot more time being a photographer, so maybe I'd be better. So I, I guess I guess I don't know, but it's certainly all of those things that I do. Um, you know, you mentioned collaborating with other artists. I'm in a, a photography team called Photo Cascadia. There's seven of us. They're um, my great great friends, but they're also people who have inspired me for over a decade now in terms of their photography. I've learned so much from them and we collaborate and share and talk and tell each other the truth, you know, about our, each other's photos and give advice and that kind of stuff. So that's been great. I'm um, working with uh, Tony Kuiper, who's the developer of the TK panel. I've learned so much from him about Photoshop and just ideas around image editing. Cause we're always collaborating on ideas for the panel and then teaching workshops and getting to meet all of the participants in the workshops. And I learn from, I think, the students as much as they learn from me. And then, of course, being able to go to conferences and other photography events and meet other great photographers from around the world and kind of absorb and learn from them has been wonderful. And the opportunity to be, uh, you know, to do things like this and be on podcasts and speak with people like yourself, uh, all of those things certainly have had a big impact on my photography. It would be, it would, it would be amazing to actually be able to um, view two timelines and see actually mm -hmm. if my photography would be different. Uh, you know, one timeline where all I do is just, I'm a, I'm a recluse photographer and <laughs> the other one where I do a lot of other things around photography that aren't actually just photography and see if there's a difference. Yeah. Maybe it would be lonelier if you, didn't put yourself out there as much because as you said, you have so many connections because of all these opportunities and you know, so many people and you have so many friends. So maybe it would be lonelier. Just it would, it would definitely be lonelier. And I think I'm a kind of an extroverted person. I love having those personal interactions. So yeah, I think for me personally, the chance of me being a, a hermit recluse photographer living off the grid somewhere out in the middle of nowhere that doesn't interact with other people is probably was never going to happen. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that's one of the things I love about photography is that, you know, all of those are, are possibilities. There are some people that do are very private and um, more like to work alone. And, uh, and you can do photography very individually, but then it can also be a very social a social activity, something that we do with other people. And that's great too. Yeah. It, there are so many possibilities in, in the photography world and it's open to everyone, anyone and everyone. That's the amazing thing about it. Yeah. So where would you put yourself in that continuum? Are you more of the, uh, the keep to yourself artist, uh, just working away 
in, in, in isolation or are you out there in the community? Oh, wow. You're asking me questions. I appreciate that. Actually. <laughs> uh, I would say I, I love talking to people. So I do consider myself an extrovert in a sense. So for the podcast, of course, I have to be social. So I love that. It gives me a lot of energy. So I would say I'm an extrovert professionally. But then in my personal life, when I take photographs, because I often I specialize in self-portraiture. So that's a pretty isolated genre, right? So personal life when I take photographs of myself then it's definitely more private and quiet um but it's it's all over the place I would say I'm kind of a chameleon in that sense and I think and that's right very very few things in life are all one or all the other and it's always a mix and I agree I mean I do spend quite a bit of time on my own doing photography just being by myself out, you know, backpacking into the wilderness and photographing with no one else around. And I love that, that quiet personal time as well. Yeah, I think it's beautiful because when you have that time to yourself, especially in a world where technology is all over the place and you're always in touch with people, it's nice to connect with yourself because oftentimes today in this modern age, we forget to just be with ourselves and spend quality time with ourselves. So I really value that in my life. And when I connect with myself in my personal time and I'm able to process my thoughts, I tend to be more creative in my experience, at least. So I feel like it's beneficial in many ways, but it's also just as beneficial to socialize and learn from others. So yeah, I feel like both sides are incredibly inspiring to me. It's all about balance in all things in life. Find the right balance. Exactly. Find the right balance. Yeah. (laughs) What are three things that every aspiring landscape photographer should know? Oh, wow. Okay. So three things, if I can get it down to just three. So I would say number one, every aspiring landscape photographer should know that you need to be out in the landscape and you need to love nature and being out there. And that means the geology, the, the, uh, the biology, the, the weather, you know, the, the times of year, the seasons, the lighting conditions just become uh, a student of all of that and passionate about that. That would, I, I would say, be number one for a landscape photographer. If, if, if you're a landscape photographer and you're not connected with the land, then I don't think your landscape photography is going to be very inspiring. That would be number one. Number two, I would say, is to get to know other landscape photographers and um, get other perspectives and other ideas and hear the kind of the stories behind or the ideas behind what other landscape photographers are doing with their work. I think kind of broadening your horizon like that and having a bigger scope of understanding of what's out there helps you find what you want to do and what your voice and intentions are. And I guess I would say number three would be to go back and take a look at some of the work of the pioneers of landscape photography. And that's when I started, I think that was something that I wasn't interested in. You know, I felt like, ah, people from a hundred years ago, you know, what do they have to show us now? And we're, we're past that. We're advanced from that. We're doing things that are, you know, leaps forward. So 
we need to look forward, not backward. But now I, I really appreciate going back and seeing what some of the you know early landscape photographers starting from the 1800s into the, you know, and then through the 1900s, through the 20th century, and realizing that so much of what motivated them and some of the things that they were trying to do and some of the challenges that they were struggling with really do connect and relate to. And there is so much to, to learn from there, too. So I think those would be my three just off the top of my head. Yeah. That's all very good advice. I think uh, if I ever got into landscape photography, I would uh, definitely find all those tips very useful. Okay, my last question for you is, what is the one thing you'd like to achieve in this great big photography world? Oh, boy, I think for me, it's hard for me to get it down to one thing. (laughs) (laughs) There's so many things I'd love to achieve. But I think if I had to pick one, it would be that... I've been able to have a positive, useful impact on other people's lives in whatever way that is. If that's through my images or through being able to share ideas and information and knowledge about photography, whatever it is, if if I can have some sort of positive impact for other people, so many people have had those kinds of impacts on my life. So being able to pay that forward in any way would be my number one goal. Mm, That's a beautiful answer. And I'm confident that you will achieve that because your work is genuinely really beautiful and tells different stories and you're such a friendly person. I have no doubt that you will achieve that over and over again. (laughs) Well, thank you. That's very kind of you. Well, Sean, thank you for being on the podcast. I really appreciated all the wonderful wisdom you shared, and I'm sure the listeners did as well. And I cannot wait to see all the wonderful photos you make in the future. Well, thank you, Ty. I really appreciate it. It's been my pleasure. I've enjoyed our conversation. Me too. Talk soon. Bye. (laughs) Take care. Great Big Photography World wouldn't be what it is without our incredible listeners. We're grateful for the time you take to listen to other photographers' stories and share your feedback with us. If you'd like to help us keep this podcast running smoothly, you can become a member on our website. In return for your help, we'll provide you with all kinds of exciting perks. Go to greatbigphotographyworld.com. There's a link to it in the show notes. Sean's story is very inspiring to me, and I think a lot of photographers can relate to it because not every photographer initially started out as a photographer. Many of us had different jobs in the past, and it just proves that you can always change your life. You can always improve your photography, no matter what. So there's always, always hope. See you next week. There's a simple reason why PhotographyCourse.net is the highest rated photography community in the world. It's because the people who use it made it that way. Why not join us right now? Improve your skills, get exposure, and discover an exciting new world of photography. While you're at it, claim your special discount code by going to photographycourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST to get 50% off your first year as a premium member.